You are listening to HHS bonus content from the Hillbilly Horror Stories Network. This bonus content is released during the week for your listening pleasure while awaiting the release of Sunday's actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. All bonus content will be listed as HHS Presents or HHS Midweek while the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episodes will have only an episode number and the title listed, for example, 187, The Kentucky Vampires. Those episodes are a longer deep dive into a particular subject. If you are new to the show and the bonuses aren't your style, get the full-length episode to try. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to episode 31 of the midweek episode. This is going to be a fun one. Well, I like fun ones. I kind of teased this one a little bit on one of the shorts that we did. The story that we've got tonight, and first of all, we got Darren Marlar coming on from Weird Darkness. He's going to be our special guest tonight. Absolutely love Darren. We go back a couple of years. Uh, a lot of you probably already listened to his show, but if not, you're going to be in for a treat because this one's actually kind of a long one. He gives uh, tells us some of his interesting little facts and stuff, and then we've actually got a clip of his show to be able to play at the end. So it's going to be fun. Before that, though, we have what I believe is actually one of the best stories that we've told on Hillbilly Horror Stories, and we're doing it on this midweek episode. What? What are you laughing about? <laughs> you always say that. <laughs> well, I can't help it if other ones are better. At the time, it was one of the best. And this one's new. So this is actually called the Stockwell Poltergeist. And this story takes place over in Stockwell, which is in south of London in England, January 6th and 7th of 1772. So it goes back a little bit of a ways. So the area right here in, in South London was mostly farmland back in this time. And one of the farms belonged to a gentleman by the name of John Paynes. So on January 6th at 10 a.m., Mary Golding was in the parlor of the house that she lived in. She starts hearing these sounds and stuff like of breaking glass in China. This was the result of all these things that she had on the wall, falling off the wall and into the floor and breaking in the kitchen floor. Her maid, Ann Robinson, she calls for her. And they both ran down into the kitchen in time to see another row of plates fall off of the shelf and onto the floor. So at this point, items from all over the entire house basically start falling all at once. I'm talking there was a clock, a lantern that was in the stairwell. Uh, there was a pan of meat that were that was sitting on the, the counter that fell off. You know the maid was thinking, damn it, I got to clean all this crap up. <laughs> Five second rule. <laughs> for the meat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All this racket, as well as the women screaming, brought several people to the scene to try to see what the hell's going on here. So one of these people was a carpenter by the name of Mr. Rollage. So he thinks that the foundation of the home must be starting to crumble or give way. And that's what's causing all this stuff to fall off the wall, creating like a little mini earthquake, earthquake. within the house. Mm-hmm. So with all this, Miss Golding left the house. And she went to one of her neighbor's house by the name of a Mr. Gresham. That's what I was saying the other day. All these stories have like Mr. and Miss. Nobody has a first name name in any Mm -hmm. of these stories. So once she was in the house, she fainted. I guess it was Like she just walked in the door and fainted. Yeah, I guess it was just everything hit her all at once of what had happened. I wonder if she had her uh, back of her hand on her forehead when she did it. (sighs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So the others began moving, that, that was over there helping, they began moving all of her uh, belongings and stuff from out of her house over to Mr. Gresham's house. So, you know, in case the house did fall in, she wouldn't lose everything she had. What amazed all of these people that were helping move this 
merchandise over from from one house to the other was how calm that the maid was during all of this. So it's like everybody's running around frantically and she's just like, "Eh, I'm just here. She didn't seem to be surprised at all about what was going on around her. As a matter of fact, she had to be persuaded to even leave the house to begin with. So we mentioned that the Payne's farmhouse earlier, uh, this is where Miss Golding's niece Mary lived. Someone went to her to tell her that her aunt was dying and to get a surgeon. I guess because she she fainted, they automatically sent somebody over to say, hey, your aunt's dying, go get a surgeon. (laughs) I think they overdramatic a little bit back in the day. (laughs) So Miss Golding wakes up. There's a surgeon there. And <laughs> getting ready to get, well, cut her open with a scalpel. <laughs> closer than you think. Remember, this is <laughs> this is the 1770s. He actually bled her and then let, left the blood in a bowl so he could examine it later. Because remember, that's what they did back then. They would well, bleed I mean, people. She was probably like, what is going on in here? <laughs> well, when this happened, the blood that was in the, the cup that he was going to check on later, it started to congeal a bit. So think <gasps> Jello. It sprang out of the bowl and into the floor. Oh, stop it. That's what it says. It jumped up out of the bowl. That's what it said. The bowl then broke into pieces. Not only that, but there was a bottle of rum that was sitting right beside the bowl. It also shattered into pieces at the exact same time. That's disgusting. That sounds like a making for jello shots. (laughs) That's probably how it started. (laughs) Well, it's... It's like the whole peanut butter and uh, chocolate thing started Reese's. This is oh, how yeah. Jello shots mm-hmm. got started. Ooh. It's like Jello shots for Dracula. That's gross. <laughs> I will not partake in a Jello shot like that. One of the items that was brought from her house over to Mr. Gresham's was a very large mirror. Now, when they brought this mirror in, they laid it underneath the sideboard in the kitchen where he kept his glasses and china. All the glasses and china then fell on top of the mirror and broke it. Great. So on top of everything else, I got seven years bad luck. This is a weird-ass story. It is. Guests were offered their choice of wine or rum, at which time both bottles broke. Neither had even been uncorked yet. As you can imagine, Miss Golding was in a frantic state about this time, and she decided that she was going to go to her niece's house over at the the Payne's, Mm -hmm. John Payne's place. Miss Golding and Mary, they went back, they ate some food, and then they decided to send the maid back to the house to see if anything else had happened in the meantime since they'd been gone. Guess what? While the maid was gone, everything was completely quiet. When the maid returned later that night, a row of pewter dishes fell off the shelf. They rolled all around, and then they all landed upside down, every one of them. They put the dishes back where they were. Not only did they fall again, but a second row fell as well. An egg that was sitting on a shelf beside them flew across the room and struck the cat on the head. (laughs) I'm sure that was payback. I I giggled when I read that too. (laughs) So just like in Miss Golding's house, things fell from everywhere at the Payne's farmhouse at the exact same time. So they decided to put all of the plates on the floor instead of trying to put them back on a shelf where they're just going to fall. But the plates then just started dancing around. Then a teapot flew across the room and hit the maid's foot. This is Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) This is what this is. A teacup moved across the room. It was ringing like a bell the whole time that it was moving, and then it crashed into a dresser into several pieces. During all this, the maid was just strolling around very calmly. 
she could not be persuaded to even sit down by Miss Golding, who had said, um, maybe you should sit down. Is the maid making all this happen? Figured out. She told Miss Golding and Mary that, you know what, you shouldn't be alarmed because events like this should be expected in any family. Well, who's she been living with? No, she's kidding. I almost said that word. You said shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> you said no shouldn't. <laughs> At 10 p.m., 12 hours after all this stuff had started, Richard Fowler, he was a neighbor, he was asked to come over here and kind of see what was going on because I guess they wanted verification that, you know, we're not nuts. He thought, you know, I'll do, I'll do this because it will probably provide them some comfort. Three hours later, he was terrified and he left and refused to come back in. <laughs> oh, wow. At 5 a.m., Miss Golding felt that, you know what, this is not working. And if I'm going to go through all this stuff, uh, I'm just going to leave. So he go, she goes over to Richard Fowler's house, which I'm sure he was excited about. Because, yeah, stop. Yeah, he go just said, well, just the, and she went over there because the tables and chairs started flying around the room. That's a little more dangerous than, you know, a glass or a teapot or something like that. And it was also said that the destruction at the paint house mm-hmm. was like undescribable. It was so bad at the time she left to come over to Mr. Fowler's. So the maid stayed over at, at the house, mm-hmm. the Payne's house, to help get the kids dressed and everything. The kids apparently were in the barn because with everything going on in the house, they thought the house was going to fall down, so they put the kids out in the barn for shelter. I mean, I don't blame them. Why didn't they all go to the barn? I don't. Well, I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe the cows are in there. So what, once they got to Richard uh, Fowler's house, the activity started there at his house. Fowler begged Miss Golding to leave his house. He said, he said, what dreadful crime have you committed to bring such uh, punishment upon yourself? Well, true story. Don't be bringing it up in my crib. She said, <laughs> she said I've not done anything yet. And then she agreed that she could probably wait this out at her house because it's happening everywhere she goes, so it really don't matter. She might yeah, as well just get her house. destroying and, everybody else's right. house. So John Payne accompanied her and the maid back home. As soon as they get to the uh, the main house, they walk in. They said a keg of beer in the cellar overturned. Boy, that's got to smell good. Well, I like the smell of beer, so it, it wouldn't bother me. It's disgusting. A pail of water started boiling like it was in a pot on a stove, and then a table flipped over. The maid went to go get Mrs. Payne, so she left the house and went back to the Payne's residence. Everything stopped while she was gone. So John Payne and Miss Golding start discussing what's been what's been happening, who's been there, who's not, and they decided that the maid must be the cause. Mm-hmm. So when she returned, she was dismissed, and then there were never any other issues. I would have made her butt clean my mess up first. Well, she's probably could... causing more mess than... That's probably the equivalent of the little kid trying to clean up the spilled drink as they're holding their cup and spilling it every time they bend over. So I was thinking maybe... Well, that's kind of stupid, but... That she was causing all this disaster and mess just to keep her on. No, she, she was afraid she was going to lose her job or something. This is probably something she'd had before because Ann Robinson, the maid, was only about 20 years old. And she'd only been employed by Miss Golden for 10 days. 
So they got rid of her, and then everything was good. Yep, everything was good. Good. So see, that's a cool little story. There's a lot that's of stuff crazy. Into that. That's a crazy story. So. Wonder why it took them so long to figure it out. I mean, well, I mean, how are you going to do If you got that much stuff going on, you're probably not thinking it's got anything to do with somebody that's with you. And, damn, Nanch. She'd been with them for 10 days and there hadn't been any problem. It was all just happening now. Mm-hmm. But I would think if you're moving from house to house to house and things start happening, you got to know it's one of those three or four people. Definitely. You should have had that figured out. So, wow. I hope her house is back in order now. Well, that was the 1700s, so I'm sure it probably oh, is. Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that's the least of her concerns at yeah, this point. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it probably don't even exist. So. <laughs> All right, guys, let's listen to Darren Marlar after a brief break from our sponsor. Hey, guys, welcome back. I love to have these podcasters on that are friends of ours, of friends of the shows. And this is actually one of my favorite podcasts, what I deem to be the best voice in podcasting. Darren Marlar from Weird Darkness. Uh, Darren, thanks for coming on, buddy. Flattery will get you everywhere. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that, Jerry. Thank you. And, and I 100% mean that. I talked to Tracy. We've, where was we at? It was on our way to Illinois, or not Illinois, uh, in Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. we were talking, and I just said, hey, Darren's got literally the best voice. I wish I had his voice. And it's not just the voice. It's your reading style. You do such a great job. I mean, you literally are a professional at what you do. Well, true. And, and uh, in the literal sense, this is actually, I'm a voice artist for a living. That's what I do. So I appreciate that. That's that still is a very nice compliment. I, I appreciate another coming from another podcaster. That actually does mean a lot. So thank you. I'm glad you enjoy what I do. I mean, you've got a great voice for what you do too, especially with with the way you brand yourselves. Uh, the word hillbilly, I think it works perfectly for what you guys do. You've embraced it. We've been lucky that I've had some people write us and say, "Hey, I've got. A, I love your voice. I love what's a soothing voice. I don't see it. I've always hated my voice, you know. And I, I've been through all the years of doing stand up. I've had heard numerous recordings of my stuff and it's like every time I hear my voice I cringe even today so uh, and it's funny I went, I applied for a TV gig at one point it was for a local sports show and they were looking for somebody to come on their television show and be a, a co-host and they had a competition and one of the local news anchors a well-known news anchor in the area but it was like an American Idol type deal so they were trying to be a little harsh but man she crushed me and that was one of the things she said was you don't have the looks or the voice for TV so that was <laughs> probably 10 years ago Oh, that's that, that that's harsh. That's harsh. Well, well, but again, you got podcasting. You don't need the looks for podcasting. This is true. So, perfect medium. Yeah. And, <laughs> and obviously, you don't need the voice either. So yeah, it's, it's perfect for yeah. Well, so, so that'll stick it to her. You're you're more successful now than you probably ever would have been the other direction. This so. is a hundred percent true. So tell me, yeah. weird weird darkness. When did the show start? What prompted you to make weird darkness? Well, I, I've been an audio guy. All my life. Well, I've been an entertainer all my life. We'll put it that way. I mean, I even remember as a little kid in elementary school, entertaining people by liking to sing, being on stage, doing, you know, getting involved with the plays and the choruses and everything else. So uh, I even remember as a little kid growing up, my dad had a reel-to-reel player. I don't know if anybody remembers what those look like, but uh, I had one in my bedroom and that was my first, probably when I was eight, nine years old, that was my first experience with playing around with audio. So I guess it was just in my blood right from the from the beginnings. Eventually, as a young adult in my early 20s, I went to a radio station and I pretty much told them I would work for free just to get my foot in the door. And it's just been that way ever since. That was in 1990. And I have, I'm still in radio now, 30 years later. I've just learned a lot 
you know, since then when it comes to audio. Well, there, there, a few years ago, I moved to Rockford, Illinois for an FM morning radio position at a Christian radio station here. And it didn't last for very long. The station got sold and I suddenly found myself with nine months of being unemployed. I no no job, what's the word I'm looking for? No unemployment insurance either because I was working mm. for a 501c3. I went from $50,000 a year to zero for nine straight months. We lived on credit cards, we even making house payments on credit cards. But that gave me time to start messing around with other things that I was hoping to do. Tried to create an online radio station, or, or a radio show that, you know, that I could maybe syndicate to other radio stations and that wasn't working very well. But I always liked the idea of podcasting and I'd been doing it a little while with a comedy thing I did called uh, The Daily Dose of Weird News, which never really caught on, but it was just kind of fun. It was something to get my creative juices going. And I was uh, on YouTube one day and I was listening to a uh, channel called Haunting Stories. And it's very similar to what I do with Weird Darkness now. It's just a guy talking into a microphone telling spooky stories and it wasn't even really videos but it was on YouTube it was just a still image uh, with him doing it you know pretty much as a pod and really nice guy and I said hey I like what you're doing you know would you like for me to narrate an episode for you and he said sure why not and I thought I really enjoyed the experience so I thought hey I'm gonna do this for myself to see what it's like well that was about four years ago I, I did it on on YouTube did maybe a couple a week, but that's but I was trying to actually do video, not just the still image. I was actually trying to do you know numerous images per per episode. I'm not a video guy though; it took so much time. So I decided I'm going to start doing podcast with it. So at least I'm doubling my reach. Found out the audio itself is a lot easier. So I decided a couple of years ago to skip doing the video version and just do the audio version. And that way I could also do it every day because I just love what I do and I'm in the studio all day long. I'm always in front of a microphone. So I mean, people think, wow, you're a machine. You do one every day. Well, I live in front of the microphone, so it's not quite as not quite as awesome and sounds like, you know, you you everybody else goes out to the office or goes working at a restaurant all day long and they come home to do their podcast. Uh, this I'm already at the office doing my podcast, so it's not <laughs> right. quite not quite that uh, that impressive. But I now I could do it every single day. And when I did that 2 years ago, it exploded in popularity. Suddenly everybody, or not everybody, what am I saying? Many people started logging on, started talking about it, and now that actually has become my full-time job. Weird Darkness, the podcast, is now the main breadwinner uh, for Marlar House. So, well, it, what, it, what the heck was that? <laughs> What's well, just some special effects? Or me not turning my phone off. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> It sounded like a mechanical dog in the background that was chewing on your leg. So are we doing horror scenes in the podcast now? It's the actual, what is it? The sound from Law & Order. Oh, <laughs> dong, dong. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, a, uh, you've got a comedy background as well. You've done some stand-up. I did. For about t for 10 years, I uh, pursued stand-up comedy. That was actually around the same time of, of everything that I was just telling you, I was also doing stand-up comedy. Again, I had a lot more time to do it, and with that job loss, it gave me more time to pursue that, thinking maybe that's what I was going to go into full-time, and uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, that was a lot of fun as well, but it just didn't really take off like I was hoping it would, and don't let uh, anybody tell you that uh, stand-up comedy is easy, because it is not. You know. You, you know, Jerry. It is it is hard work uh, if you're going to do it and do it well and try to write 
fresh material, so you're not doing the same routine year after year after year. I I, I just didn't have what it took, I think, really, to, to make that a full-time career. It's a great hobby. It's something mm-hmm. you when, when you don't have to rely on it for your income, you could just go out and have fun and stress-free, but when you're relying on it as your income, now it matters if you get booked, if you don't get booked, if you're doing your own gig like I was doing, you're selling your own yeah. tickets, then, then you got to worry about if you walk out and there's not this many people there, you don't immediately go, oh, well, it's just what you start thinking, how am I going to pay this car payment or how am I going to pay the rent because I thought there'd be more, yeah. you know, it just, it's extremely stressful. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I, I stopped doing it because it didn't know it was no longer fun yep, because exactly. it, yeah, yeah, exactly for the exact reasons you were just saying. So, yeah, I think if I had kept it just as a hobby and was doing other things like maybe the podcast as my full time job, I might have kept up with the, with the uh, comedy. Uh, nowadays, my health just won't allow it. My I got I got a bad back and other stuff that just doesn't really allow me to travel uh, hardly at all anymore. So it actually worked out pretty well with me working from home in my own home office. But it, it was a lot of fun though. And I've thought if I ever do take Weird Darkness to a live stage setting someday, I might have to incorporate a little stand up comedy. Comedy just because that's in me, part of my personality, just sort of kind of break the ice when I first step out on stage or something. I don't know. But maybe I'll, maybe you and I can do the comedy thing together and then also scare people, the tar out of people at the same time with our podcasts. <laughs> we'll do a show together. It's funny because when you, when you mention that, Shane Waters, he's also obviously a, a huge podcaster, more of the true crime things, and he's got some Netflix stuff going on, was part of The Keepers and, and all that. He's also a, a previous stand-up, and we had an event originally set up in, in Indianapolis last year that we had to cancel, and during that time we were actually going to both do a 15 minute stand-up set on top of doing our thing so it's it's been talked really? about so you never know yeah you know it doesn't really surprise me that comedians are also interested in some of the dark stuff because i all the comedians that i met when i was on when i was doing stand-up comedy at the bars and stuff like that we all have darker personalities we uh, most of us suffer from depression and anxiety i'm not going to say that you do i don't know i do but i say uh i think comedy is just one of those outlets we have it's a coping mechanism and i think people with depression they tend to gravitate towards the paranormal and darker stories for some reason that gives us some sort of comfort because i can't tell you how many letters and emails emails, even cards in the mail have been sent to me thanking me for the depression stuff that I that I focus on in my podcast because because so many people suffer from it. it but also I know so many who so many people who were in the comedy industry that, that got it as well. So I guess it really it really shouldn't surprise me that people who who pursue stand-up comedy also crave the the dark stuff as well. So I'll bet there are a lot of podcasters doing this kind of thing that do have a comedy background or vice versa. P- comedians who uh who've, who maybe are like ghost hunters on the weekends or something like that i'm gonna have to start asking now when i when i start talking to other paranormal podcasters or if i start talking to comedians i'm gonna have to ask them about that so I, like if i talk to a comedian hey do you listen to podcasts i'm just kind of curious what do you listen to and just see if maybe you know <laughs> hillbilly horror happens to be one of them or something like that it's kind of interesting <laughs> well you know you brought it up so and it was something i was going to bring up to begin with one of the things that i really like about your show is 
you do incorporate the mental health standpoint. We do. We bring it at the start of every one of our main shows. We do bring it up as well and give out the suicide hotline and tell people to take care mm-hmm. of themselves. You even take it a step further to the point of you've got stuff set up on your website for people that are struggling. And uh, tell tell me a little bit about why you felt the need to incorporate that as part of your the beginning of every podcast you do. Well, at first, uh, all I had is. What you're doing is the suicide hotline because I really that was the only thing I really knew that was out there. But I knew that I wanted something to give people hope because it because almost everything I was narrating was so dark, and uh, I didn't want to leave people with nothing. I guess I didn't want to end things on on such a dark dark note and uh, just and just leave them hanging like that. For some reason, it just didn't feel right to me. And I know most most people do. Most people will do their podcast, and if it's a dark podcast like what you and I do. That's the way it is. So of course it's going to end that way. That's the content. Uh, that, but for some reason it just didn't sit right with me. So I, I started looking for something that I could share with people that, that could give them some hope or if they're struggling. And the only thing I could find was that suicide hotline. But not everybody is on the verge of suicide. That doesn't mean that they're not hurting though. And I've, I've suffered from depression since I was uh, a teenager. I remember back in my early junior high days, I can see looking back now that depression was affecting me. I didn't know it at the time, but I can look back now and see how it was affecting me. And so I scoured the internet. I could only find one website that actually does specifically deal with depression. I couldn't believe that. There are so many that deal with veterans, so many that talk about suicide and crisis calls and stuff like that, which is awesome. I'm glad they're out there. But I couldn't believe that only one specifically talked about depression. So I reached out to them just to make sure that they were legit and they are and so I started I started talking about them they're the International Foundation for Research and Education on Depression and the reason I started talking about them is because they do have resources for people that have depression so I just wanted people to have somewhere that they could go to they don't pay me to talk about them I just want wanted somewhere if you want to reach out to somebody you just have to have somebody to reach out to and I can't help out the 20,000 people that listen to my to my episodes each each day I I can't. Uh, I wish I could. So I needed somebody that they could reach out to or at least get them to somebody who could. I just felt it was important to at least have that. It's almost like I have a ministry. I don't really call it a ministry, obviously, because it's not Christian material. But there's a responsibility there that I think we have. And if somebody reaches out to us, I want to be able to have some sort of answer for them. I agree 100%. That's one of the reasons that we pretty much turned our Facebook group into a support group more than the show group. You know, yeah. you can yeah. you can find us, you know, all the paranormal stuff on our fan page or on my personal page. And there's a little bit of, of it in the group. But for the most part, you know, we wanted somebody to a place to have for somebody to turn to if they needed to speak to somebody. And it's great awesome. because if somebody says, hey, I'm struggling with this or I need prayers for this or I, I'm, you know, I just lost a job. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. There's 20 or 30 comments almost within a five minute period of support for these people and why it might that not be a professional awesome. setup as far as like actual doctors and stuff. A lot of times you don't have to have that. You just need to have somebody to talk to. And it's it's great that we've been able to provide that for listeners. That is great. I didn't realize you guys were doing that in your group. I'm going to have to go over to your group and, and join as well. That, that's that's awesome. That happens in our group as well, once in a while. Not to that extent, but once in a while, I'd say maybe just a once a month or so, somebody might say, uh, like what you were saying, they lost a job or they're just having a really down day and they need a little bit of a pick-me-up and suddenly they'll have a swarm 
of weirdos come in and say, hey, man, we're holding you up. We're got, you know, we got you. You know, you can do this. We're praying for you. Whatever. It, it definitely is. It has that family feel, doesn't it? It's really, it's really cool. It does. It does. And it's yeah. great. And like I said, we didn't start the group for that reason. We actually had a listener, Natasha, over in Australia that said, hey, keep, would you do a group? Will you do a group? We kept saying no. And she eventually just said, hey, well, if you're not going to do it, can I start one for you? So we said yes. And it's it's something because now it's turned into what we're most proud of. It's uh, We're getting ready to hit 5,000 members in the group. Nice. And like I said, it's now it's promoted. If you actually go look at the description of the group, it says it's for people struggling with depression or thoughts and that just, you know, so everybody supports everybody else. And we, we keep it really tight to the point of, of we don't let just anybody in. It has to, it's still a closed group because we want people to know that what they're talking about is private, you mm-hmm. know? And, and uh, so now that, like I said, there's still fun stuff that goes on. It's not uh, consistently just people sharing the issues they got going on in life. I mean, there's still a lot of funny memes and stuff like that, but people know that that's, that's more for keeping everybody upbeat than gloom and doom. Yeah. I, you know what? I, if it, would, you, would you mind if I posted a link to your group in my group just to let people know that it's out there? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. All right. Because yeah, I so many people would actually be able to to take advantage of that. And again, since since you are just not letting everybody in, uh, that that'll help as well. So well, yeah, I want to point. That'd be great. I want to I want to point out something you said too, in case people didn't catch on to it. You said that somebody will post something like that, and then you've got several weirdos. Uh, coming to them it's important to know because your show is weird darkness your listeners (laughs) your listeners affectionately are known as weirdos so you weren't just calling people weirdos (laughs) yeah it's not like i'm calling my my listeners jerks or anything no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess I, yeah, I'm so used to saying that I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah, for for some from somebody on the outside, it's like I'm actually calling my my uh, my listeners bad names. Now, weirdos, yeah, because it's weird darkness, and because I also used to have the podcast called Daily Dose of Weird News, the listeners became weirdos, and so ev- essentially everything that I do has sort of has a weird or weirdo theme behind it. Like it's, uh, my my patrons are official weirdos. We have a watch party that we do about once a month or so where we're watching a horror movie together and chatting about it. We call that a weirdo watch party. I have weird at work Wednesday where once a month I'm giving, I'm giving a prize pack away to somebody who listens to the podcast while they're at the office. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's, all, it's a sort of a branding thing, but people really seem to like it because all the memes and everything that people like uh, post in the group, it's all along those lines. It's weirdo or weird. They they really seem to have embraced it. So uh, thank goodness, because otherwise I'd be offending people and I wouldn't have very many people in the group or very many people listening. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and you've got a huge show and no no disrespect, but I know the company that you uh, you get your stats from. And so my guess is that they're actually at least... 50 to 75% more listeners than what you even realize you have just because I follow these stats and stuff. So, I mean, if you say you got 20,000 a day listening, it's probably closer to 30 is going to be my guess. And that is absolutely amazing. I mean, those are huge numbers. And like you said, you put an episode out every day. For those of you who haven't listened, these episodes are like an hour and a half long, seven days a week. And how do you keep everything fresh without running out of subjects? Because that's two, three, four subjects every show, plus some other stuff. We have trouble finding great stories to do one episode a week on. How do you keep Uh, up with all this? Well, one thing that's really been helpful is the name Weird Darkness 
doesn't doesn't confine me to one subject. So it's not just paranormal. It's not just supernatural, not just true crime. Uh, anything weird or dark is up for grabs. So at the beginning of every, uh, every episode, I pretty much lay it out. So I'm just going to read it here real quick because it's the best way to explain it. Well, Weird Darkness, you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, crime, conspiracy, mysterious, macabre, unsolved and unexplained. So it pretty much runs the gamut of, of anything that's weird or dark. And that could be just about anything. I'm working on today's show and my, the very first story is gonna be talking about things that have happened to people when uh, when they are, they're night owls. They stay up late at night and everybody else is in bed. Some of the, some of the scariest things that have happened to them. Yesterday, I, I did a story on the guy who pretty much invented criminal profiling. Yesterday, I also had a story about, about a psychiatrist who believes that uh, demon possession is a real thing. It, it goes from, from place to place. Cannibalism gets in there sometimes. Paranormal stuff, haunted haunted dolls, you know, that can get in there. Cryptids can get in there once in a while. It's it's all, it's all in there. Any, anything that's a little bit abnormal can end up in the podcast. So so I don't limit myself to to one tiny niche. I, I, so that, that helps with getting the getting the material. And people seem to like the, like that I jump around like that. It's not, it's not so focused. But I also go to a lot of different websites to look for stuff. Um, I get a lot Lot of different newsletters from from different places and the weirdos themselves they're sending a lot of stories my way now too so all of that coming and putting it all together and just kind of rotating it as evenly as i can i'm, I'm never at a loss for stories well let, let me ask you this because this is something because we do our little from patreon we do an episode almost every day they call them the hillbilly shorts and they can be on a little bit of everything but we are like into the 578th episode of those plus mm-hmm. we've done Tons of full-length bonuses. Plus, we're getting ready to do our 200th episode on Hillbilly Horror Stories. Plus, we do a midweek episode. We sometimes will run across a story, and it's like, I've researched it, but I can't remember if we've done a show on it or not. How often do you run into a situation where, or I guess a better place would be, how do you keep from redoing a story when you're doing so many episodes over such a long period of time? Honestly, I have no I have no idea. I, I, I very well might be. If... <laughs> Well, and, and I have to be honest about that. People, people have come up to me once, once in a while. Like, uh, I'll, I'll get a YouTube comment and they'll say, "Hey, man, didn't you do this story like last year or something?" <laughs> and I'll, and I'll just be honest. I'll say, "I might have. I have. If I don't remember doing it, then I'll just go on with it." Once in a while, while I'm narrating something, I'm thinking this sounds kind of familiar. So at that point, I'll go back into my files and I'll do a real quick search for for a phrase or something. And hopefully I kept the transcripts from those episodes back then so I can look for it. And if it's there, then of course I'll I'll not do it. But if I don't, then I I just chalk it up to to the Mandela effect or something. I just think think I did this before, but I haven't. And most of the time, even if it is something that I've done in the past, uh, if it fits within that episode, like if, if it matches perfectly another story and it's almost like a segue into into the next topic, I'll go ahead and leave it in there because it feels right. Very, very rarely has anybody 
ever said, hey, I don't like it that you did this a year ago and now you're doing it again. And on weekends, I do it intentionally. It, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, they're, they are dark archive episodes. Mm-hmm. So uh, Monday through Friday, I do I do my best to do all new content, except for the occasional one like we just mentioned, where I might be doing it accidentally. There, Saturdays and Sundays, though, I, I purposely go back to an episode a year or two back and just, just kind of reformat it, put in a new intro and outro or something, uh, add new new announcements that might be uh, might be appropriate for like what, what we're doing a, we're doing a fundraiser right now or whatever but it's the same stories in fact it's the exact same audio from a year or so back I just splice it in for Saturdays and Sundays that gives me a little bit of a break on the weekends to do other things too so yeah seven days a week I couldn't do a brand new episode seven days a week I'd never get any sleep so let me ask you this with the the episodes that you've done you've done a bunch of these things are there any stories that stand out to you as I don't want to say favorites but any of them that just like man if I had to pick one or two these just come to mind first there are or even a topic if they're a topic that you like doing more than the others well I've always been a fan of werewolves but there there are a couple of episodes that I've done that had sort of a personal meaning to me uh, I did one a few years back probably three years ago now it was called the last step and the reason it's so personal to me is because it was written by my father when he was in college I had always loved the story I remember uh, I remember him sharing the story with me when I was in high school uh, or maybe it was maybe younger than that I may have been in junior high but I always loved the story it's about a guy who is searching in a jungle for a lost city falls into a pit and can't get out but he sees that others have fallen into the pit before him and they had tried to tried to carve a uh, sort of a ladder on, into the wall to try and climb out well he took he takes out his knife and he starts doing the same thing he starts carving carving these these ladder rungs trying to climb out and he realizes his he doesn't have enough knife to do it but he continues on anyway and the, the story ends saying maybe just maybe the next guy will make it and for some reason that just hit me so hard well three years ago my dad we almost lost him my dad ended up in the hospital and I had to run to Texas while he was in the hospital. I'm in, I'm in Northern Illinois. So uh, when, when we were called and said that he was in the hospital and that, that we needed to get there as soon as possible, we were staying in his house and we weren't allowed to stay at the hospital uh, while, he, while he was there. We could come and visit, but we couldn't do anything else. And one night they, uh, they said that they had to put him under because he was, there was too much activity and he was, we were actually doing more harm than good by visiting. I was, I was going to stay the night and just read to him. When, it, when you're in a coma, you know, you've heard the, like, that uh, they can hear you if they're in a mm-hmm. coma. Well, they wouldn't let me do that. They said even that, even if he's in a coma and can hear you, that could be too much stress on him. Wow. So they wouldn't even allow me to do that. So I had kept his story. He had given it to me a couple of years back when I'd asked him for it. So I decided I go went back to the house and there's no way I was going to sleep. So I took the story and I made an episode about about just reading that story. I just read it and called it The Last Step. And that particular episode is probably, it's not the best. A lot of people probably would not consider it one of their favorites, but because of the tie it has between me and my dad, that's why it's one of my favorites. And it's also, of course, one of my dad's favorites. He's still with us. He got through that and he's even called a couple of times because he, he's not very computer savvy. And so he, he calls back and says, where can I find that again? I want to share it with a friend of mine. I've given him the URL a couple of times. Says, 
dad, you know what, just go to just go to the site and just type last step. There's a search function right there. Uh, no, he doesn't get it. But that's okay. It's a, it's an opportunity to converse with my dad again, and I really shouldn't, uh, I really should do uh, treasure those those moments. That's probably my favorite episode for that reason. Another one that's one of, that's one of my favorites is Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, only just because I just, lo- I've always loved that story. I recently sent that in for a, a contest. You might know about it. Is it the Hear Me Now contest? Have you heard about yes. that? They accepted that, and it's in the, it's in the running now for some sort of award. So I sent the whole thing, and that and that happens to be one of the uh, the favorites of my my uh, weirdos as well. When you when you told me that we were going to be talking uh, today, I jumped into my group and set up a poll to ask all of my weirdos, "Hey, what's your favorite?" story uh, just to see what what they would say and the telltale heart is one of theirs as well because a lot of people do love Edgar Allan Poe which which makes sense so those would be my two favorites I think there are others that would Mothman the very first very very first episode I ever did was on the Mothman and so that would be another favorite because that's kind of what launched it all you're up there close to the Wisconsin border am i correct yeah i can be with i can be in wisconsin in less than 15 minutes yeah is that part of your fascination with werewolves does that have any tie-in with the the wisconsin werewolves and and beast of bray road and all that no because i actually grew up in kansas city we had, we didn't we didn't actually move here until 2004 oh, gotcha. uh, for i don't know what this fascination with werewolves is i've i just remember as a kid i've always loved werewolves. Well, I've always loved Halloween in general because my birthday is the day after Halloween. So every year when I was celebrating my birthday, I was always surrounded by all of this imagery. So I think that's probably the main reason I love Halloween. But for some reason, I've always loved werewolves. I remember one year my dad dressed me up as a werewolf, went out and bought the uh, the really cheap plastic werewolf mask. But yeah. we got, I don't know where we where he found it, but he found some sort of uh, some fuzzy fuzzy bodysuit to put on me so I could have fuzzy arms and then we'd put a white t-shirt on me and then uh, he'd find a what he uh, got some lipstick or red marker or something and he made it look like bullet holes in, uh, on my chest I'm going to elementary school with bullet <laughs> holes in my chest there's no way you could do that nowadays I would be kicked out of school nowadays but back then it was totally fine uh, it was cool but uh, I don't know I don't know where that came from honestly I just, I just it's always they've always been there yeah it's really cool but, we just last week we just had the opportunity to interview Linda Godfrey and of course she's the one who who originally wrote and, and named the Beast of Bray Road and done a bunch of werewolf stuff she lives up in Wisconsin so it was kind of funny you uh-huh. said that because this is coming on literally like the week after we interviewed her oh okay so was that uh, has that aired yet yeah that actually just came out uh, this past Wednesday so what was it almost a week ago well I guess what I'm going to be doing once we're done here <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question are we are we able have access to play on this show of uh of some of your stuff maybe the telltale heart or something else that that you choose yeah yeah i'll uh i'll give you anything you want um in fact i'll uh you, would you like me to just to send you a copy of the telltale heart yeah uh, just send, send me a copy of it and, yeah send me a copy of it and i'll put it on here at the end of this interview and everybody can get a a sense of what your show is all right yeah i'll, I'll send you a copy of the telltale heart and I'll also send you a copy of uh, The Last Step. I'll let you choose if you want to do both or just one. doesn't matter to me. That's awesome. Well, Darren, it's been fun, buddy. I got to know you a couple of years ago. We were in a network together. We've never met personally, but we've got to converse a lot online. And like I said, I absolutely love your show. For people that haven't heard it, 
I advise you to all go and listen, and I think you'll fall in love with it right off the bat. I, I, it's, it's just, I think it's just very well produced. It's top notch, man. It's, it's obvious you've got radio background because it's, it's as good as anything out there production-wise. Well, I, I really appreciate it. I can't wait for this thing, can't wait for this interview to uh, be posted, and I'll get, be able to share it with my friends, and they'll learn more about you as well. So, how can people keep up with you, Darren? Well, actually, you can find everything about me if you just go to WeirdDarkness.com. All of my contact information, social media, anything and everything, even even about my voiceover services, you can find it all right there on the website at WeirdDarkness.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, brother, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Talk to you later, man. I absolutely love Darren's show. He's, for to me, like, he's got one of those shows that I can put on at nighttime, and his mm-hmm. voice, is, voice is soothing enough where I just kind of just can fall asleep. Yeah, I agree. He does have a very talented voice. So, we want to thank everybody for listening, obviously. This has uh, been a fun show. I, I love that first story we did. Mm-hmm. That, that would be the type of story if we were actually doing live events. That would be one I would like to tell live. Yeah. But who knows oh. if that's ever going to happen this year, so oh. I didn't want to save it. Well, that's true. Let's just hopefully hope it does. So we got a couple of bonus clips that Darren gave us to be able to put on. So if you never listened to a show, it kind of gives you an idea of, of what it is. But one of these is The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, one of my favorite all-time stories. So he does a real justice to it by, by the way he tells it. So if you like what you hear, go subscribe to Weird Darkness. But first, another brief break for one of our sponsors. The Telltale Heart. Written by Edgar Allan Poe, narrated by Darren Marlar. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed them, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. How then am I mad? Hearken, and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object? There was none. Passion? There was none. I loved the old man. He'd never wronged me. He'd never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture, a a pale blue eye with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold, and so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man, and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of his door and opened it, oh, so gently. And then, 
When I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. Oh, you would have laughed to see how cunningly I thrust it in. I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights, every night just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, and so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone, and inquiring how he passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed, to suspect that every night, just at twelve, I looked in upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than did mine. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph to think that there I was, opening the door little by little and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with a thick darkness, for the shutters were close-fastened through fear of robbers, and so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in, and was about to open the lantern when my thumb slipped upon the tin fastening, and the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quite still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle, and in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down. He was still sitting up in the bed, listening, just as I have done night after night hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or of grief, oh no, it was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew the sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I say I knew it well. I knew what the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. 
His fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He'd been saying to himself, it's nothing but the wind in the chimney, it's only a mouse crossing the floor, or it's merely a cricket which has made a single chirp. Yes, he'd been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he had found all in vain. All in vain. Because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until at length, a simple, dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot from out the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue, with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones, but I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray, as if by instinct, precisely upon the damned spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the sense? Now, I say, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury, as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eve. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet, for some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder. Louder. I thought the heart must burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had come. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him, and then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes, 
There was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If still you think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night waned, and I worked hastily but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I then replaced the boards so cleverly, so cunningly that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatsoever. I'd been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight. As the bell sounded the hour, there came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart, for what had I now to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused, information had been lodged at the police office, and they, the officers, had been deputed to search the premises. I smiled, for what had I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man, I mentioned, was absent in the country. I took my visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But ere long, I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and still chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of the feeling, but it continued and gained definiteness, until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No doubt I now grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a heightened voice, Yet the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men. But the noise steadily increased. Oh, God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon which I'd been sitting and grated it upon the boards. But the noise arose over all and continually increased. It grew louder, 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 and still 
the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no. No, they heard. They suspected. They knew. They were making a mockery of my horror. This I thought and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this derision. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt that I must scream or die. And now, again, hark! Louder! 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 Villains! I shrieked. Dissemble no more! I admit the deed! Tear up the planks! Here! Here! It is the beating of its hideous heart! Depression comes to all of us at times. I know personally, as I suffer from depression myself, and have most of my life. But if you can't seem to get out of it, you're not alone. Call 1-800-273-8255. They'll show you a way out of your depression, even if you're trying to deal with it through drugs or alcohol. With the FMLA, you can take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you've found help. Call 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. Welcome, Weirdos. This is a special Weekend Archive episode of Weird Darkness. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. If you have a dark tale to tell, you can share it with me at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. And be sure to subscribe if you've not done so already so you don't miss future uploads. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the archives of Weird Darkness. Welcome to Weird Darkness. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. If you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you know that my father is currently in the ICU, so Weird Darkness and Daily Dose of Weird News have been put on hold until further notice. But yesterday, I remembered a story that my dad wrote many years ago before I was ever a gleam in his eye. A story he wrote in college that he shared with me when I was a teenager, and it has stuck with me. With my mind constantly on my dad right now, and with an hour of quiet time to record this using my USB travel microphone in a guest bedroom of my dad's house here in Bella Vista, Arkansas, as I'm away from home, I bring you The Last Step by Richard A. Marler. You stupid fool! Don't you know you're just wasting your time? There ain't no lost city around here. It's just some silly legend that the local natives dreamed up. You damn college people are all alike, think you know everything. 
As I looked at the storekeeper, I tried desperately to hold back my anger. Look, fella, I've come a long way, and I'm not turning back just because you say so. I've reason to believe that there is some merit to what these natives say, and by God, I'm going to find out whether you like it or not. Okay, young feller, but you can't say that I didn't warn you. Will there be anything else for you? Have you got enough food? Yes, I'm sure that's all, except for maybe a small stainless steel mirror. I like to be clean-shaven, even when I'm out on expedition. All right, with the mirror, it comes to $37.12. I threw four $10 bills to the old man, picked up my merchandise, and walked out. The old boy had really started to get to me. He must have thought I was new at this sort of business. You would think that when a man reaches 35, people would respect him. It took some of the afternoon to get back to camp, and when I did get there, I was ready for bed. Tomorrow would be a very trying day, but I hoped for it to also be a profitable one. I hardly slept all night. The excitement of the coming day kept creeping into my thoughts. This was the day I had so long waited for. The day that the whole world would be saying the name Alan Richards. At 4.30, I was up, had my breakfast eaten, and was almost through shaving. It was a wonderful feeling just to know that I was alive and healthy. If only Ellen and Danny were here with me. Oh, Ellen, why did it have to be you and little Danny that had to die? Why couldn't it have been someone else's wife and son? Ellen, Ellen, the lonely nights I have spent waiting for you to come to my side, wanting you, but knowing that you could never come to me. I may never see you again, but tomorrow our dream will come true. I'll find the city of Tyra. It was almost five when I walked out and got into my old jeep. It would still be over an hour before my search could start, for the road was narrow and very curvy. When the jungle finally stopped me from driving any farther, I slipped a pack with three days' rations over my shoulder and started walking. The ground was very wet and slimy and felt like a sponge under my weight. I had only walked a few miles when I noticed that the sky was getting darker. The foliage was becoming so dense that it was blocking out the light. It seemed like hours that I walked and cut my way through the thick and entangled undergrowth. My hopes were fading until I heard Ellen's voice say, Just a little further, my love. Just a little further. I knew it was only my imagination, yet I pressed on. It was only a few minutes until I saw the first small building of Tyra. It looked very awesome with vines growing from its small windows and trees bending over its small roof. My heart began to pound with joy. I found it! I found it! I started running madly toward the building, not knowing of what might lie before me. I was only a few feet away when the world seemed to explode around me. For a second, there was a crashing sound. Then I was falling deeper and deeper. Then I saw a flash of red. I don't know how long I was out, but when I came to, the world was black. I couldn't see anything, and my body was engulfed with pain. 
started to crawl about, hoping to find out just where I was, but found nothing except a pile of sticks and rocks. Giving up, since I couldn't see, I laid my head on one of the large rocks and went to sleep. Maybe in the light I'd do better. I woke to find the sun shining directly in my eyes and my head splitting. Looking down with horror, I saw that the sticks I had found the night before were bones and the rocks were human skulls. My eyes began searching for an escape from this hell, but I found nothing, for I had fallen into some sort of pit which had steep, sheer, vertical walls. Running over to the wall, I found that there were small steps carved into it. I began scrambling towards the top, but after climbing only 15 feet, I realized that the steps ended and that I was still 10 feet short of my goal. With all my might, I jumped but crashed to the floor of the pit, convulsing with pain. I ran to the wall and attempted it again, but again crashed to its bottom. Aching from head to toe, I dragged myself back to the corner. I now knew how the steps had been carved. The men whose bones were now scattered around me had attempted their escapes by carving small handholds in the wall. I could see the remnants of what they'd used as tools to do so. Knives, hatches, even nail files had been used, but none had achieved his goal of freedom. Now it was my turn to try for survival. I looked around but couldn't find my pack, so reaching into my pocket, I pulled out my knife and then started back up the wall. Scraping and scratching with my knife, I began carving more steps, first one, then two, and finally number three. It was almost dark then, so my work would have to wait until morning. The next morning I began to carve as soon as it was light. The steps went higher and higher, but as the day began to come to its close, my hopes closed with it. The blades on my knife were worn down until only a part of one blade remained. I sat on the floor in complete despair. My knife was only long enough to carve one more step, but it would take at least four, maybe five steps to get out. I began thinking of the men before me who had fallen into the pit. Each of them must have sat here just as I, knowing that death was coming, but also knowing there was nothing he could do to prevent it. Oh, Ellen, help me, God, please help me. I can't get out. Please help me. My knife is almost gone. I can only carve one more. Please help me. I only sat there for a few more minutes before I realized what I must do. I walked slowly back to the wall and then started climbing up so that I could carve the last step. Maybe, just maybe, the next guy would make it. I can still remember that evening when I first heard about the old witch named Kato. The year was 1937. 
My father came into the living room and switched off the radio. We children grumbled at first, but then he said he would tell us a tale of the supernatural. It was a story his father had told him. I sat still at full attention along with my younger brother and sister, I being the oldest at 12 years old. I always liked stories of mystery and horror, usually listening to The Shadow or some other radio program. My dad was quite the storyteller, having inherited the skill from his father. My mother had gone to help her younger sister, who lived in the next town 25 miles away and had just given birth to her first child. Dad put another log on the fire to battle the cool, icy winds whipping around the house. The sun was just setting on this chilly mid-October evening. Dad struck a match to light his pipe, and taking a puff from it, he gently exhaled. The sweet aroma drifted throughout the living room, mingling with smell of the burning oak logs in the fireplace. With just the light of the roaring fire, the mood was set. <clears throat> Clearing his throat, my dad started his tale. The Legend of Kato, The Witch's Curse. There was once an old crone who lived outside of the small town of Karma, Illinois. She was deeply wrinkled with a prominent nose and deep-set green eyes. She always cast forth an evil stare. She had once been beautiful with flaming red hair, now turned white, that still hung down near her waist. It was said she could cure diseases and speak to the wild animals. She lived out along the Indian mounds, near the river in the woods. It was common knowledge that she could conjure up the Indian spirits from the ground. Many locals said you could hear weird chanting and wailing mixed with blood-curdling screams and howls. It was the spirits of the dead Indians coming back, doing one last war dance. These events always occurred between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. Now the old witch had raised a large family of boys. These boys were wild, having grown up in the woods. They were as wicked as the devil in many ways. Everyone in town steered clear of them if they could. The boys had left the old witch by herself these last few years, though. Dad paused briefly to relight his pipe. He continued, Now the old crone, being near 83 years old, was feeling that her disillusion was drawing very near. She informed a neighbor that she was without her magic powers and being all alone with death near, she wanted to make her last wishes known. Now her final wishes were certainly odd indeed. She stated that she was to be buried in a lonely spot which she had marked. The spot for her grave was near her home, close to a desolate roadway. Her other strange requests were to have the lid of her coffin to not be screwed down and that her grave not be more than three feet from the surface. I intend to appear before my children and tell them of their evil, wicked ways, she said with the utmost authority. She passed away within the hour. 
word spread quickly throughout the small community. Her children, frightened at this prospect, soon fled the surrounding area. Her small cabin sat deserted as rumors of weird sounds and unearthly apparitions were said to appear and disappear to any belated travelers who happened to wander by the now decrepit cabin. It was stated that where her grave was located, there grew vast amounts of catnip, wormwood, whorehound, and tansy, plus many more herbs she had used in her performance of magical cures and spells while she was alive. According to legend, if you are near the site where the old cabin once stood and are brave enough to be there between the hours of midnight to 3 a.m., you might just hear the strange, bewitching sounds echoing along the Indian mounds and river valley. Maybe you'll even see the old witch dancing with the Indian warriors, if you dare. This weekend archive of Weird Darkness returns in just a moment. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow. Weirdo family member Kitty sent me an email saying, My husband works out of state the majority of the time, and when he left, he wanted to take his MyPillow with him. That's how much he loves his. Right now, you can get two premium MyPillows for one low price. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD or call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192 or MyPillow.com. Promo code WEIRD. I've told people numerous times in the past that if I ever own my own business and I have employees that I have to take care of, one of the job training requirements is having them listen to or read the book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It has been extremely beneficial to me through the years. I've listened to the audiobook numerous times. I've got the print book as well on my bookshelves, but it is a pretty long book. However, right now you can listen to the entire Blinkist version and it'll only take you 15 minutes. And you can listen to it absolutely free with a seven-day trial to Blinkist. I love Blinkist. I use it every single day. And it's made for busy people like me and you who want to get the main points out of books quickly without having to read the entire book because, let's face it, we just don't have the time. Well, with an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy you could finish four books a day just while on your commute back and forth to work. And now they have a special deal just for Weird Darkness listeners. You can have a seven-day free trial so you can get all the books, including Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And after that seven days is up, you can still get Blinkist for 25% off if you want to continue as a subscriber. If not, you can still keep the free version of Blinkist and get a new book every single day anyway. Check it out. Go to Blinkist.com slash WeirdDarkness. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash WeirdDarkness. The first time my Uncle Bud felt anything was the week that he moved in. He says he was taking a shower, and all of a sudden he felt as if he was being watched. So he jumped out, got dressed, and went downstairs to see if someone had come into the house while he was showering. He saw nothing. A few weeks later, he was spending time with his girlfriend when they heard footsteps on the stairs. They described them as heavy footsteps and even went so far as to turn their music down to hear them. 
My uncle thought it must be the house settling, but he admitted that he had never heard anything like it in his life. The steps went on for about two hours, off and on. A few days after that, my uncle was having a morning coffee with my parents. My parents had stayed over at the house to help him with some gardening he needed doing. They were drinking their coffee, the radio was on, and they were just talking. All of a sudden, the radio's volume started to increase. My uncle tried to turn it off, but it kept on blaring out. He stood with the plug in his hand, trying to turn the radio off. Then, all of a sudden, they could hear running on the stairs and a door banging upstairs. My parents were absolutely terrified and couldn't wait to leave my uncle. Later that day, my father was looking around the house. He walked into one of the bedrooms and started knocking on the wall. He thought there must be an explanation and wanted to see how soundly the house was built. He knocked on the wall a few times and someone or something knocked back. He stood there knocking and waiting for reply knocks. The reply knocks came every single time he knocked. Still later that day, my mother and father tried banging the doors to recreate the sound of the door bang they had heard earlier. They banged every single upstairs door, but none made the same sound. My uncle decided to get a priest in, and he did. The priest did a service, and everything seemed to settle down. Until one morning, my uncle woke up to see an old man staring down at him from the side of his bed. The face was old, and he didn't look happy. My uncle decided at that point to move out. My parents had taken some photos while they were visiting with my uncle. When they printed them out, they could see fog on every single photo. It was like someone had been smoking, but nobody had. The pictures were absolute proof to my parents that something was going on in that house. Whoever that old fellow was, he didn't want anyone else living in his house. We heard that a few months after my uncle moved out, the house burnt down. In 1997, we had just moved to a new neighborhood, and I was about nine years old at that time. The new house was a big four-bedroom house with two bathrooms and a pool, but more importantly, the rent was so cheap that my mother couldn't believe it when my dad told us. My brother and I liked to play cricket, and there was more than enough space for that. It happened the first night while unpacking the boxes. I heard a baby crying in one of the rooms. At first, I thought it was my brother trying to prank me, but when I entered the room, it was cold and damp, and there was nothing there except for boxes of stuff to unpack and a rolled-up carpet. I went to ask my mother what to unpack next, and there it was again, a baby crying from that same room. My mother asked me if I could hear the same noise of a baby crying and I said yes, but that it was my brother playing a prank on us. She told me that my brother wasn't in the house and he had gone out with dad to fetch boxes from the other house. We went to check that room again and found nothing. 
We went back to the hallway and waited for the sound, and there it was again. No windows were open either. That night, while we were sleeping, the baby's crying became louder, and the next day, we moved out again. A couple of months later, my mother found out that the previous family that stayed there had all been murdered in the house, along with their baby. Last year, we visited an area of Prague called Vyshedad. According to Wikipedia, Vyshedad, Czech for Upper Castle, is a historical fort located in the city of Prague, Czech Republic. It was built probably in the 10th century on a hill over the Vltava River. Situated within the castle is the Basilica of St. Peter and St. Paul, as well as the Vyshedad Cemetery, containing the remains of many famous people from Czech history. Among them, Antonin Dvorak, Bedrik Smetana, Karol Čapik, and Alphonse Musha. It also contains Prague's oldest surviving building, the Rotunda of St. Martin from the 11th century. Local legend holds that Vyshedad was the location of the first settlement, which later became Prague, though thus far this claim remains unsubstantiated. I found it a beautiful place, but the cemetery truly freaked me out. Although the cemetery is probably the place many famous Czechs desire to be laid to rest, it took me several days to shake off the total gloom and despair that I felt after visiting it. The whole time I was there, I kept seeing shadows in the shadows, and when I turned around I could swear I was being watched. The presence was truly evil and left me with a feeling of being lost in a nightmare. I never actually saw a ghost, so to speak, but I am convinced something unpleasant resides there, and it's not a place I would want to be in after dark. Maybe it's the Art Nouveau tombstones, the stark black marble tombs, or perhaps it really is just haunted, but I shudder recalling being there. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by the audiobook Fright Before Christmas, 13 Tales of Holiday Horror by Various Authors, narrated by Darren Marlar. It's the most wonderful time of year, or is it? Christmas Eve is a night of mystery and magic, but not always in ways we expect. Things lurk in the shadows, and they're not the least bit jolly or merry. Let's just say some presents are better left unopened. Tis the season to be screaming along with 13 tales of holiday horrors. Ghosts, monsters, demons, and more. This coming Christmas, be careful what you wish for. Hear a sample of Fright Before Christmas, 13 tales of holiday horror on the audiobooks page at WeirdDarkness.com.
2001, a startling discovery was made in Brno during a survey of catacombs under the center of the city. Although disturbed by underground water and mud, the remains of 50,000 people were found stuffed in a small room. The room was floor to ceiling with the skeletal remains of the city's former inhabitants. After restoration work, the Brno ossuary was opened to the public in 2012 and is the second largest ossuary in Europe after the Paris catacombs. So how did they get there? In the 16th and 17th century, due to cholera, the plague, war, and so on, people tended to die in large numbers periodically. They were buried in the churchyard near the Church of St. James, inside the city walls. However, to cater for such numbers in a limited space, they were dug up again several years later and their remains stored in the crypt of the church. Their graves were then occupied, or perhaps we should say rented, by the newly dead, who would also be moved twelve years or so later. Eventually, due to health reasons, the churchyard was closed and all the bodies moved to the crypt as well. During this time, the crypt had to be expanded and made larger to hold all of the remains of what is estimated to be 50,000 souls. You can visit the Brno Ossuary and see the remains for yourself if you dare. I can tell you this, it is creepy, and the thought of constantly digging up bodies and placing them in the crypt is pretty freaky too. Here in Brno is one of the creepiest places I have ever visited. It is known as the Capuchin Crypt. On the outside, it is nothing but yet another small and ornate church, but inside, it is Brno's strange and creepy mummy show. The Capuchin monks who used the church for many years were an order who vowed poverty. As a part of this austerity program, they reused just a single coffin over and over again, laying the body of their dead colleague on the ground, rosary in hand, in the crypt. Due to the nature of the soil and the air currents down there, the bodies became mummified. Each body was laid on the floor with its head on a pile of bricks that served as a pillow. The practice was later stopped by the introduction of new hygiene laws in the 19th century. The result, however, is that there remain 24 partly mummified monk bodies laying out carefully in the crypt. It's not just monks, however, in the creepy crypt, but also benefactors of the order, including Baron Trenk and Baron Franz Josef Katulinskich with his wife Eleanor. These and other notables lie in glass-topped coffins, adding to the gloom and eeriness of the place. A small entrance fee is all that it takes to visit the site where you will also be greeted with the sobering painted statement on the crypt itself. As you are now, we once were. As we are now, you shall be.
friend of mine at college moved into a new flat at the beginning of term. It was a nice, big, well-equipped flat, and the rent was almost too good to be true. After a month, he moved out again. Here is why. Over a beer or two, he told me that the place simply seemed too good to be true. The price was too low for such a nice place so conveniently located. However, he took it and counted his lucky stars. At first, all seemed fine and dandy. Periodically, however, especially around pub-throwing-out time, the doorbell would ring. He would go to the door and find no one there. Given the time of night it usually occurred, he put it down to drunken and playful neighbors. Over the next two weeks, his neighbors began to play this trick at other times, too. And when it started happening in the early hours of the morning, he felt it was time to keep an eye out and complain. He saw one of his neighbors in the corridor the next day and asked if perhaps it were he playing the trick, or perhaps they knew who it might be. The neighbor, an older man, simply stared at him and said nothing at all. My friend thought this quite odd behavior. When the owner arrived at the weekend as arranged, my friend was really getting quite angry. Several sleepless nights had put him in a foul and angry mood. He wanted this tomfoolery to end, and end now, and he told the landlord this as they stood in the kitchen drinking coffee. The landlord went slightly pale as his new tenant explained the problem. He put down his coffee and said, "'Come with me, will you?' He led his new tenant to the front door and opened it and then said, "'Ring the doorbell, please.' My friend pushed the small, round button as he imagined the practical joker in the building might have done. However, the bell did not ring. You see, the bell doesn't work. It hasn't worked in a long time because we unwired it. My friend sucked air like a fish in a bowl as he took in exactly what he had just heard. And then he understood. You mean there is no bell? He asked, as if to make sure. There isn't, and hasn't been a bell in a long time, said the concerned landlord. Unsurprisingly, my friend immediately moved out. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Fact or fiction, you can share your story at WeirdDarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. Find links to this episode's stories in the show notes. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marlar. Thanks for joining me in the archives of Weird Darkness.